This week's Institute of Ideas podcast is called From Islamic State to Oxford, A Monumental War on the Past and was recorded at the recent Battle of Ideas Festival at the Barbican in London. Okay, well, thanks very much. Just to begin with, the issue of us caring, uh, sometimes it seems more about the destruction of monuments than, than of people, is an interesting one. And I, I think it's worth stressing at the beginning that you can't strictly compare these things. The fact that one has a very strong reaction to the destruction of monuments, perhaps even stronger than to the things of people dying, it doesn't imply any kind of like straightforward hierarchy of good. So, for example, although I, I do find myself extremely horrified by the destruction of monuments, does that mean that if I had to choose between pulling like a Picasso or a human being out of a burning building, that I would choose Picasso? No, it doesn't. I mean, normally we don't have to face that choice. So I don't want it to turn into a kind of like hypothetical, what would you do if you had to do one or the other? It's more like, you know, what, it's a quite appropriate to have strong reactions to both things, and that doesn't weigh, in any way diminish them. And I think the, the reason it's appropriate is, is straightforwardly the fact that we value things, achievements, cultural, shared uh, uh, triumphs and 
our, our civilization. And that's not to actually diminish the value of people. Um, in Palmyra, in Syria, uh, the architect Khaled al-Assad was brutally murdered there. And why? Well, we don't know the exact reasons, but it seems that he was willing to put his own life on the line in order to preserve historical sites there. You know, the person who actually gave up their own life could was able to do that. So I, I, I think if he could see that, in a sense, heroically, these things were more important than his own life, then I don't think it's inappropriate that in our own reactions to these things, we share something of that. But I think there's, a, I want to sort of like spend most of my seven minutes, of which several have gone, um, on the exploring another issue about why these things really matter. Why does it really matter that people are engaged in the destruction of things to do with the past? Well, there are lots of reasons. The one I want to focus on is the sense in which relics of the past or monuments of the past and achievements of the past form part of our identity of who we are. And, and that's very important because identity is a very tricky subject and it's a very much an abused one. And I think that when people try and appeal to like a national identity in particular, they're often being extremely selective. They're, they're cherry-picking. These, these identities are often created. They're often somewhat artificial. And I think there's a sense in which the actual sort of remnants of the past, the remains of the past, tell a kind of a truthful and complicated story of culture. So, for example, if you go into virtually any church, what do you see? You know, we want to preserve churches, right? Great old churches. But if you go into a church, you normally see there's like a, a Norman chapel and then there's a sort of Baroque thing put on top, etc., etc. Nested within the church are all these layers of history. There was no kind of past as it was. It tells a story of how the society uh, that it now belongs to has changed and adapted over the years. And I think the longer time, when people aim to, when people destroy elements of the past or try and erase them, they're trying to do so because they've got a, very much an agenda for what they want to say about the identity today. So you think of this as an example in Tur Turkey, is a very interesting case in point. Hagia Sophia is one of the most, you know, tremendous uh, buildings in, on the planet. Uh, you know, first a church, then a mosque, now a kind of secular museum, which pays homage to both those aspects of the past. But like a lot of these Byzantine buildings, there's a lot of pressure within Turkey to basically restore them as they were at that particular point in the, in the Islamic history, erasing the pre-Christian past. And, and why is that? It's trying to tell a story of the identity of Turkey today which is simplified and which sort of takes away from the richness of the past and tries to kind of pretend there is like an unchanging essence of Turkishness which um, everyone can, can go around. So I think you see that pattern a lot. Now, I think this is actually also a reason why we shouldn't necessarily also erase those unpleasant parts of the past. In, in Sheffield, this is like the reasonably trivial example in a way, but you know, in Sheffield, um, Parkhill Estate, is it? Uh, these, these tower blocks which are, you know, deeply associated with poverty and deprivation. But, you know, they, they were very much an important part of Sheffield's history. They were listed and they've been completely, they've been renovated by a very fashionable urban splash architect and, and changed into something else. Whatever you make of the particular renovation, the decision to sort of keep them and not just get rid of them is actually even though in lots of ways the association with this area are not good for people, it keeps alive the complex history of the city. It's not just about the triumph, it's about what it's gone through as well. 
And, and I, I live in Bristol at the moment as well, and this, this relates to uh, what Ross was saying at the beginning. In Bristol, there is similarly like the anti-colonial thing, you, the desire to eradicate evidence of the slave trading past, the tobacco trading past. So we have like buildings named after Colston and Willsbury, the tobacco factory. And people think this is tremendously shameful, and it is in lots of ways, but I think that all the more reason to retain these names. Because as I say, when you, when you walk around the city, any kind of city, town or country, when you see the different layers of the past sort of preserved there, you appreciate the rich traditions, the rich identities, good and bad. And that's really important for understanding the identity we have today. So the, the, the simple point I really just want to throw out here is that one of the real problems with erasing uh, aspects of the physical past and why it is so abhorrent to do so is that it is actually often done in order to try and create an idea of the present which is simplistic and which um, is denying people what's important and better. <laughs> And 
spark in the West that he was sort of communicating about the Christian the song and progressivism and the very ideas of the Christian faith espoused by the Christian community in the West is also less true than the In 2001, the Taliban sent out radars to accuse the Christian faith of the bad lies of fundamentalists and to move about the country with their death and destruction. Why should it be different to communicate the Christian faith in the East when the West denies it? So what we do, from Bosnia onwards to 
There were two objects in that exhibition that I think help us do that. The first is, um, I didn't sort of stay in my mind. The first is this figure, a sculpted figure of dead Christ. And um, it's a terrifying object. He's emaciated, he's dying, and it puts the fear of death in you. You don't know who did it, it's an unknown sculptor. And in the early 16th century, he was buried because it was an idolatrous object um, in the Gibraltar Monastery. That's a kind of clear example of iconoclasm, really. He may not have been broken, but he was buried. Towards the end of the exhibition, there was a portrait that had been defaced by the artist Jake and Gina Chapman. And they've done this to Fairmount. They've actually done it with Goya's portrait, which they've actually done with horrendous. And I thought it was interesting that the two were put together as the same thing, because I don't think that they are the same thing. And I think what's happening with ISIS actually isn't as comparable to the iconoclasm of the early 16th century and earlier. I think there's some very modern influences on it. I'm no expert on ISIS, but there are certain things that you can see in their attacks on Palmyra and elsewhere that I think you can deduce that from them. The first thing is that it's very much externally concentrated. So it's very much for the Western media. It's very much aimed at us. And that's quite different to a religious-based iconoclasm, which is largely internal to religion, and it reflected in the, in the main a conflict about its core beliefs, so whether up within the Christian church or between versions of Christianity or confrontation between Shia uh, and Sunni. But the kind of contemporary ideas iconoclasm, without saying that there are no kind of business um, religious influences, I think they're primarily aimed at us, and they're not really caused by so much of the scheme of religious faith. But there is this destruction of images, and in a way, there is an attempt to erase a pre-Islamic history. And in some respects, I think the kind of focus on images and symbolism is, is kind of what's happening in the West as well, to some extent. It's not just that we're kind of media savvy, but it's that this attempt to try and change the past and legitimize ourselves through taking down secular roads, through highlighting the worst aspects and trying to cleanse it. And I think what you have, actually, is politics via symbols. So instead of, you know, trying to change society, I think, in, in effect, you've got like a destruction of images. So it's a replacement of politics with images. And I think that's, that's very, very damaging because the previous, prior, early religious iconoclasm did come with attempts to change the social order. I mean, it, it kind of accompanied it. Whereas this seems to be in place of it. I do think you can probably say, although it's, it's devastating that a lot of those Catholic objects are destroyed, it did accompany a, a social process with our kind of people. Whereas this, I don't so much. So I think, I think there probably are, yeah, I think there probably are probably some, some iconoclasms just more okay than others. Because of what it accompanies. Now, in the past, leaders did use images to legitimize themselves. And that has always happened. And so, if you look at the way in which the elder marbles were received and argued for when they came to Britain, you had two, two things happening. You had the British elite hoping to kind of have some sort of touch of ancient Greece upon their, their realm. 
Um, but you also had to put varying monitors who were connected with delivery grids at that time, hoping that ancient grids would also rub off as well on that. Do you have the, the kind of the valuing of certain parts to authorize? And I think what you have instead today is the destruction of the parts to authorize. It's a lot more destructive. You don't get these tiles and marbles with it. And it's a very different treatment of the past and of the problem. It is, it is devastating when these objects are destroyed. It's not just that they are objects, it's a way of connecting human beings to other human beings. I mean, the thing about Palmyra is so ancient. I mean, you feel like you're connected to the people who made them, but also the people who've seen them across time, and the way that humanity has a conversation with itself, with other generations, through these objects. And so it's not, I don't think, you can take objects versus people. I think it's a way we talk about humanity in previous generations that helps give some sort of solidity to the present. Our kind of, our reality and the um, reliability of our human world rests not just on the ephemeral and temporal, but the fact that we are surrounded by things that have been here a lot longer than us. They arrived here a lot, uh, a long time ago, and they will probably laugh out last us. And that, I think, kind of gives us some sort of placing in history. Is it a monumental war on the past? Not exactly. It's actually a war on the future. This isn't really about the future. This is about something that's just later that we can inherit. The destruction of the past is object is about associating memories with work. And but by doing that, by controlling the memory, you knowledge of future generations, not the ones of this one. So, for example, Isis, Diana, I think is the name of Satan, around that time, um, wants, among other things, to present the next generation with an Islamic narrative. Uh, in fact, it's that which we're describing about Islamism, whereby um, you have paganism and chaos, and then you have Islam and nothing to do with the No distinction between what is given in Islam and what is given in Christianity. It's not confined to them. It's not confined to that part of the world. The, the Scots, actually, even Jackie Murray mentioned this to me, uh, effectively wrote out them to the Picts, quite deliberately, in a sort of historical definitive process. It didn't involve killing people because people were dead, but it's much the same idea of obliterating history, obliterating memory in order to create the future. This is always done through manipulation, destruction, and invention of chaos. So again, you know, I was talking about the present idea, you invent uh, a present writer, so that is writer often invented things, you eradicate the present, and in so doing, you completely obliterate the history of and greater history of corporations and how you present a particular narrative to suit the purposes of sort of endless conflict, endless endless resisting facts that have to be run through. But that's simply an extreme example of what heritage, heritage is actually about anyway. David Lowenthal, in his Heritage Controls and Journals History, wrote an exciting program. History is for all. Heritage is for ourselves alone. Heritage is much more exclusive. Heritage means we, because we have inherited something and you haven't. It's my heritage, not yours. We talk about in national terms, our heritage and your heritage and national terms and so on. Heritage implies a collective ownership, even of private property. So you have a conservation area within which you can't do whatever you want with your own land because you have to comply by the certain rules. UNESCO um, has, uh, has ownership of world heritage sites, one of the things that's been lacking in that country. 
And even if I could take a sort of small example, um, taking the case of the discussion of the situation of the public It's his own property, but then equally would say, but you can't do that, you can't put your place in from the neighborhood. But collective ownership or then forces that person to its own purposes, and those purposes can be rather old. So, for example, I used to make a public support, and I'm trying to support the Now, my point is that doing that, sort of manipulating heritage, using heritage to promote your own views, is no point in telling the bank because that's what heritage is, what we all have always done, all generations have done. In that sense, what I'm sort of dying to do is not that bit, but it's more violent, more dramatically, um, and of course it involves three people to the politicians. But the flowing of the is not that bit that can take the bank back to the And indeed, they would point that out. They're doing is then beyond that, because they are denying the next generation the right to make up their own You destroy the heritage. You can take a statue down. You can cover it up. You can demote it because it affects your own view. I'm not doing so, it affects your own view. That's fine. But if you ban inconvenient heritage, if you destroy it, if you eradicate it, as Lord Elgin did not deny it, but his son did the son of Alan and the king, but they didn't, um, then in effect you are denying the next generation their. Opportunities to make up their own mind. You are trying to control the future, and I don't think that is right. And in that sense, it's a selfish, it's an arrogant um, attitude, it's an arrogant act. So, of course, the murders carried out in Palmyra are worse than the destruction of the But the damage done by the destruction is actually one of the ones that can be Because, in that sense, it's even more cruel. It lasts longer, and it will indeed force the voter back. So I saw others who would eradicate the past are actually at war, not so much with the past, but with our, all of us. Okay, so I think we'll go straight out and see if there are any questions.
an interesting point, you know, who does, uh, who assigns the kind of cultural value to things? Like, so I know in Ireland after independence, there was a, a large amount of the vestiges of British colonialism were removed, and very few Irish people were able to have a problem with that. And similarly, you can imagine, you know, statues of Stalin or whoever that were torn down, were torn down at the collapse of the Soviet Union. Uh, it's unlikely that people in those areas regret those things. So what at what points do these things become culturally valuable that we can say, you know, no, that's actually wrong? So we'll go, I think, in uh, reverse order. Yeah. Can, can I say? Can I take that point about the churches? I know, I know what you mean. I wouldn't actually end up going there, but I do think that's a very good illustration of the way in which the continuing use of the same building for I think basically the same purpose is undoubtedly challenged by very different assumptions and with very different experiences. And that's why I think um, it's, it's very good, I think, that, that manuscripts do uh, remodel their interiors, rethink the use of the, of the space, and maybe you do indeed have to face down to the heritage or whoever in order to do that. I know that's, that's not sometimes the case. But I think that is the better way, and, and that's why I, I don't think we can say it that way. I do believe that we should consider things as such generation for the heritage that we should that's the point about selling uh, artifacts. Um, I don't have inside information, but certainly all the, all the reports that I've seen suggest that that is indeed happening, that, that there are things that there are going on which are much more significant than the present. Is a lot of conflict information about the heritage in terms of the context of it, whether that's the same thing happening day to day for artifacts and that sort of thing, or is it No doubt there's similar things going on, but will footage be propagated by the church to someone in Britain or Germany if something did explain that happened on my grounds or my own particular grounds? I think it's nonsense. Now, we're not saying that you can't use the church to protect the artifacts, we're just saying they may be destroyed, they may be given to somebody down, but I think we have to be sceptical about the propaganda.
research for anything. And I think that's and then probably the other question you see, I'm not saying they're the only two. But yeah, whatever you, whichever way you look at it, the kind of arguments that are being given here, I think, today are in, in no way support the idea of conservation for conservation's sake and preserving as much as possible. Yeah, and it's it's interesting to me that some of the kind of my favourite, particularly archaeological monuments, are exist precisely because people didn't give a damn about conservation. So they, in Rome, this church called San Clemente, and that was built a, a shrine on top of a temple, on top of a church, on top of a later church. So they just kept filling it in, and it, it's a really wonderful place. So you can just compare that to, say, the Parthenon, where they did strip away so many levels to get back to that. That is, in its own way, an artist's moment. Very important because it's that kind of classical Athens that's swallowed up by being stripped away thousands of years of other archaeology that that was there because that's what they wanted to uh, get at. Okay.
important like to try and like keep a bit of it in there somewhere to help keep the memory alive. In terms of selectivity, I think the point is surely that the absolute selectivity can't preserve anything. You can look at physical selectivity and go like, oh no, I think we'll probably all agree. And the point about apologising for the past, I mean, this is related particularly to the point about how often, you know, sort of an easy bit of symbolism stands in the way of actual positive change. I think that if you ask most people to perhaps, you know, have a descendant of people who are present in slave trade in particular Britain or America, uh, rather than an apology, you know, much rather appreciate some, you know, initiative to try and deal with the legacy of that
Thank you.